not clap real good. Amen. You know, I, I don't know if everybody, what you do for a living, but, um, you know, if you talk to somebody who's farming, they understand John Deere International. Don't get the rivalry started. Um, amen. We don't want to talk about college football. It's been bad, bad, bad the last couple of years. Amen. <laughs> Decade or two, whatever it's been. Amen. But my point is, is um, I hang out with five-fold ministers a lot. Evangelists, pastors, prophets, teachers, apostles, want to be apostles, think they're apostles. <laughs> Amen. There's a difference when you put that wannabe word out there at the beginning. But I, I have found this with pastors. Pastors seem to understand life, just life. Family, people, dreams, kids, appointments, disappointments. Better than any of the five-fold ministry. They seem to have a better feel for what God is doing. You know, as a, as a traveling minister, you preach and everybody shouts amen. You think, okay, good, that we've settled that issue. But a pastor knows better. In six days, it's going to come back up again. Right. Amen. And you think everybody that said amen loved your sermon. And, um, you know, it's like one, <laughs> one guy teaching in Bible school. He thinks, okay, well, this is how you start a church. You get up. You're going to teach on tithing, and then you start to receive 10% of everybody's income. You're an idiot. That is never going to happen. Let me tell you what's going to happen when you teach on tithing. Half the people are going to get mad and not do it. <laughs> is that right? They're probably gone already. This is the half that stayed, amen? Then, then, then the other half, they're going, to, they're going to search it out and call you names for a while behind your back. You're going to have to repeat that about 85 times, and then people are going to begin to tithe that stay around, Amen. Even Jesus himself, it's not like he had a speech impediment, but he said, how long must I be with you, right. amen? Right. He knew that I have to repeat this a few times until people are going to get it, amen? Listen, I've been Peter a time or six. The Lord's had to pull me aside, amen? The Bible says that he's talked to him more plainly. Right. <laughs> Did you ever talk to your kids more plainly? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, come on, don't make me drag you up front, amen, on a Sunday morning. Listen, let me, let me tell you something. My, um, my dad, he was a simple man farmer, you know, born, when he started, there weren't even tractors, yet horses. And um, we were working on a wagon just back in the day. He was, he was finalizing his side. We had redone the whole wagon rack on the top, and he was finalizing his side. I was finalizing mine, and he wanted all the bolts put with their head down you know, head down, treads to the bottom, and I was doing it the other way around. It was just easier to put it on the top. I wasn't thinking you're going to get caught on this every time you go across it. So he said, you know, turn those around. I said, well, you know, you do it your way. I'll do it mine. That's how I want to do it. <laughs> I'm 16, oh, right? right. He, doesn't even, he doesn't even look up. This is an old farmer. Doesn't even look up. He says, you know the difference between working with a horse and a mule? I, I'm a kid. I don't, whatever, Dad. You know? Another depression story. Here we go. And I said, I said, no, sir, I don't. He didn't even look up. He said, you know, Ray, if you work with a horse, you just kind of tell it what you want. Left, right, they had different words for it. Jihai, I think it's called. He said, you just tell that horse and it'll turn right, left. You, don't, you just talk. I said, great. Now, he's working his side. I'm working mine. He's not even looking at me, Pastor. He says, but a mule's not that way. He said, with a mule, you have to take a two-by-four, crack it over the head, get its attention, and then tell it what you want done, because he's not paying attention. 
I'm, I'm 16. I'm not, I, I, I'm lost. I don't even know where we're going with this. <laughs> you do. I did not. He puts his tools down. He leans over the edge of the, of the wagon. He says, what's it going to be today, son? Horse or mule? What do you want? <laughs> and it, my lightning fast mind, oh, he's yeah. mad. Oh, turn these all around. Hallelujah. Amen. So I, I, I'm a simple man. I do simple things. I talk a simple kind of amen. You want big Greek and Hebrew words. But I'm telling you, if you walk with a real pastor, they have a wisdom that I don't find in any of the other fivefold ministry. And they know life and they know what things do and how it affects the human heart. Because it doesn't matter the outside of you. Every man is a soul. Every woman is a soul. Amen. And that's who... The word of God is geared to touch us to the soul of the man. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about washing the outside of the cup. We'll get to that eventually. But the word of God is set to touch you down in your heart and to make adjustments. Can you say amen? amen. Did you bring a Bible this morning? Yes, you got to listen quicker than that. We're going to be all morning. Romans chapter 1. I want to talk to you about the gifts of God. We're going to talk about the ministry of helps. I just wanted to... While you're going to Romans chapter 1, we're going to pick it up at verse 11. I just wanted to thank you for having me again. I already thanked Pastor and Sister Jolliffe. I consider it a real honor to be here in your church. I'll never forget um, when I was here one time and Pastor Jim Crabb, remember Wild Man Jim Crabb? He's a grandpa now again, just had a grandchild, a grandson. And, um, but I remember he was here and saw all your worship team, and he battles to get a worship team together. And I remember him turning to Pastor Jolliffe just saying, I hate you. <laughs> with the love of the Lord, amen? <laughs> so I, I rejoice to see your worship team and everybody getting involved in serving God. It's just absolutely wonderful to see what you're doing and to see the church the way it is. I, I congratulate you. It's just beautiful, amen? Ro Romans chapter 1, verse 11. Let's pick it up here and we'll, we'll launch from here. It says, for I long to see you that I may impart, say impart, impart. some spiritual gift so that you may be established. I long to see you, not for an offering, not so I can put my name on, on my billboard outside, right. not because it's a feather in my cap as a minister. I want to come so that I can impart a spiritual gift to you. Talk about these gifts for just a little bit. From Jerusalem, which is primarily where Paul was, to Rome, thousands of miles. Travel in that day was not like travel today. An average army, even in, in good ground, you'll walk maybe 20, 22, 23 miles in a day. Just coming here today, before we had cars and automation and roads, would have been an all-day adventure. Right? And then getting back home. You're not going to do this. Now it's kind of like, you know, gee, you know, I'll be home in time for dinner, depending on how long it takes you to hear my sermon. But I'll be home. That's my plan to be. Amen. In Paul's day, it's not like that. This is going to take him weeks, if not months, to get from where he is in Jerusalem up around, if he goes by land, over to Rome. There's, there's, the, there's mountain ranges in between there. This is a long trip for him. Or if he takes a boat, that's still an, a long time. you got to pay for that. Obviously, we know Paul's shipwreck going to Rome. Here's my point. How important are these spiritual gifts to God? If he's going to take his number one pre premier apostle and reroute him 
to go from Jerusalem up to Rome and spend weeks doing it. How important is it to God that through the laying on of hands this gift gets imparted into this church? How urgent is it? Paul isn't going there for vacation. It, it, this isn't, you know what I'm talking about? He, he's doing this as a spiritual means to help establish this church. That's how the gifts of the Spirit work. I'm going to ask you a question that the Lord asked me some, some years ago, and it's always marked my life. I was working away in my office back when I worked for Dr. Barclay full-time, and, and uh, the, the Holy Spirit speaks to me. He says, Ray, decide right now what do you want. Well, I don't know about you. I keep a prayer list, different things I'm praying over, and that's what I thought he was referring to, but he kept going. Decide right now what do you want. Do you want a ministry? And I'm, I'm like, okay, he's not asking, he's teaching. Yeah. Do you want a ministry or an anointing? So I said, Lord, what's, what's the difference? I don't know that there's supposed to be one, but to him there was. He said, son, if what you want is a ministry, that's fairly easy. You go to somebody's school, they'll give you information. Over the course of time, you regurgitate back that information. They'll give you a plaque, you put it on your wall, and man will say you have a ministry, but I won't. He said, if what you want to do is cleanse the leper, cast out demons, heal the sick, open the blind eyes, that takes an anointing. Then he said this, and nobody gives that to you but me. Nobody. Nobody. So I, I changed, if I can say it this way, how I view, you know, all of the Pharisees in the temple had a ministry, but none of them had an anointing, not a one. Saul, before he became Paul, he had what man considered a ministry, as crazy as we would consider it, to the Pharisees it was a ministry. But God didn't call it one. If what you want is a ministry, you have to rub shoulders with the right people. You have to be seen in the right groups. You have to make sure you're taking pictures at the right time. You have to look a certain way. But if what you want is an anointing, you need the Bible, two knees, and the Holy Ghost. And you can get what you need that day. Can you say amen? Always bothers me when I see preachers that are hungry for the pulpit but not for prayer. Because they're hungry to be in front of people but not before God. That's, that's a red flag for me. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just telling you in my personal, maybe one day I'll learn better. But for right now, that's a red flag for me. Because we're hungry to be before the people but not the people's God. And I can't help the people without being with the people's God first. Can you say amen? I can have a lot of information, quote, a ministry, but not necessarily any anointing to help the people when I get there. Can you say amen? amen. So this is what this is saying now. These gifts are so important. Let's talk about gifts. We won't go there, but 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says to, to young Timothy, he says, don't neglect the gift. I, I came all that way. I, I worked with you. I made sure I prayed the presbytery. We prayed over you. And that's God's part, but you know, the, what you do with the gift is up to you. You can neglect your gift. Children's ministry, usher in the house of God, a giver in the house of God, your musical talent, your, you, can just, you can ignore that. I got busy this week. You can neglect your gift. Right. 
Timothy did. That's why the apostle writes by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't Paul writing Timothy. It was God getting a hold of Timothy. Don't neglect. You get back to your doctrine. Yeah. You, may, you pay attention to these things that were spoken over you through the presbytery. Can you say amen? amen. I don't want my gift to get dusty. That it was something I achieved like an old trophy. At one time I achieved it, but now it just sits on the mantle. We just talk about it. But we're not doing that anymore. Can you say amen? amen. These, these thoughts in mind from the New Testament, let's look at some Old Testament verses. Would that be all right? Yeah. Go with me if you would to the book of Kings. We'll pick it up here at 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, verse 41, this is going to be a familiar story, but I want to read it into the record and then we'll move on. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. Let me kind of give you the backdrop here before we, we take this whole thing. 1 Kings 17, the apostle, or sorry, the, the prophet Elijah comes up to King Ahab with King Ahab has a distinct title. The Bible says, nobody made God matter than Ahab. You don't want to compete with that right there. Just let him win that, that race. Amen? Amen? Ahab was the, even the, the scriptures say, this is the worst king of all of them. Brother, that's some tall cotton. Come on. You know what I mean? This, this guy's an idiot. Amen? You, you win. Congratulations. In, in 1 Kings 17, the prophet comes up and he says, there will be no rain until I say so. But it wasn't like Elijah just came up and invented this one day or literally the Holy Spirit spoke. If you go to the book of Deuteronomy, um, I got it. it, it uh, Deuteronomy 11, it, it says, if when you go into the promised land, if you get in there and you begin to serve their gods, the Bible says, I will hold back the rain. I will, God says, I will hold back the rain. So that's exactly what begins to happen in 1 Kings 17. Elijah comes in and says, there will be no rain until I say so. God is keeping his, his word. It's like the pastor said, the, the word, written word is the integrity of, the, of God Almighty. He said it. He meant what he wrote in the scriptures. Can you say amen? amen. If he says you'll be the head and not the tail, hang in there. You really will be. This is going to work out. Can you say Amen. Yeah. And that's, that's true. But when they began to, began to serve Baals and, and false gods, God held back the rain. So the prophet comes along and, you know, the, the people and the fire comes down and, and they all begin to say, the Lord, he is God. And they kill the 400 prophets of Baal. I'd like to have a church service like that one day. I hate to tell you, I'm just fed up with so many false prophets. Hallelujah. I really would like to just see him hit the back door. Praise the Lord. And at this point, these people repent. And so now, God in his faithfulness, when you repent, he comes with his mercy. And the, and the rains are going to become, or begin to come. And that's where we pick up verse 41 here in 1 Kings 18. It says, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound and of an abundance of rain. Now, not on the outside, but on the inside. He can hear this. If you've walked with God for any length of time, there will be things God will put in your spirit you can't see with your eyes. Right. Things he's told you are going to happen that your eyes don't see yet, but you know that, you know that, you know down inside of you, God told me this is going to turn. God, God promised me this is going to change for me. Amen? Yeah. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and, he, and Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel. 
And he bowed down on the ground and he put his face between his knees and he said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. Say that with me. There is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass on the seventh time that he said, there's a cloud the size of a man's, as small as a man's hand. Rising up out of the sea, he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and the wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away to, and went to Jezreel, but the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. I bet that was a sight to watch this prophet picking him up and laying him down past that Maserati the king had up, amen? That's my version. Pass that Maserati up, amen? You got your big money, I got God, I'll beat you, amen? And off he goes, and then he comes down, and, and you know the rest of the story. That in mind, that, that those verses in mind, go with me to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to kind of land on this for a while now. 16 verse 1, and the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? In, if you read this whole story, Israel wants a king, so God says, all right, you know, he was reluctant, he didn't want to, but he decided he'd give them a king, he gave them Saul. Saul was a king for a short period of time, he does bad, and God has to remove him from being the king. Samuel, who's the prophet, in case you haven't noticed, the prophets were always in charge of their civil leaders. Even when David became king, Nathan the prophet went to him and corrected him. I believe it's still that way to, in the earth today. I don't believe our civil officials should be over the church. I believe the prophets, the priests, the pastors are over and have the authority in the city. Can you say amen? amen. But um, Samuel anoints Saul. Saul does bad, and Saul has to be removed from being the king. I'd like to bring your attention to the fact that the prophet didn't miss it putting Saul in charge of the kingdom. He wasn't out of the will of God. You know, sometimes a pastor put a certain person in charge of a department in a church, so that person will do bad. Doesn't mean pastor missed God. It means the person didn't hold on to what God gave them. God doesn't tell Samuel, sorry, you missed it, you put the wrong person in. He just said, so I've rejected the way he's acting now. He can't stay king. He's got to be removed. So Samuel's got this kind of egg on his face, if I can say it that way, and that's where we're going to pick up the story when he's he gets with God to reestablish who, the first, who this next king is going to be. Fill your horn with oil and go. I don't care what you're going through to li in life today. Your answers are right there. Fill your horn with oil. Get your heart back into the word of God. Get the word and your anointing back into you, and you will find your answers. Amen? But if you sit here devastated, you're going to sit here devastated. Let's read on. Go, I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. Backslidden Christians are a real trip. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me one, of, one that I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord had said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peacefully? 
He said, peacefully have come to the sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Verse 6. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord spoke to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is, that's worth a whole morning right there. I, I want to thank God that you don't have to look a certain way to walk with God. You don't have to have a certain, quote, aura about you, persona about you to walk with God. God's going to look at the inside of you. Can you say amen? And that's what we all need to focus on. Praise God. Let's read on. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. So we're 0 for 2. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. Neither has the Lord chosen this way. And thus Jesse made his seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Samuel said to Jesse, are all of the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and he brought him in, and now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking, and the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is the one. But it wasn't the good, look, good looking and the bright eyes that God was using. It was the heart of David that God was after. 13, and the Lord, and so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And so Samuel arose and he went to Ramah. Here's, here's the story. Samuel comes in to Jesse and says, bring your children, bring your sons. I'm going to pray over them tomorrow. Jesse doesn't know what for. He said, you know, I'm just supposed to bring all my sons. So he brings them. One by one, they're going by in front of this prophet. And the prophet's saying, nope, 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 nope. And it comes. And at the end, he says, he says is that it? Is that all your sons? He says, no. He said, there's one more. You know, I got reading this, and I thought to myself, Jesse doesn't even think that David is a candidate to be prayed over. Right. He doesn't even invite this kid to the, to the house of God as an opportunity that God would ever use him. He sees nothing inside of David. My God, I just found myself in the Bible. If I, if I can relate to anybody in the scriptures, it's right here with David. If you would have known Ray Bench prior to Jesus Christ, I would have had happened to me just what happened to David. I don't even get invited to be, no one would have looked at me and said, there's something in that young man God's going to use. You would have never even wanted me to come around, but God, say God. God, say God. God. Say his name one more time. God said, I am not willing for that young man to sit out there in that field and do everybody's chores that nobody else wants to do and leave him out there to rot. I'm going to put something inside of that kid, and he's going to touch the nation when he gives himself to that gift. And all his brothers looked at him, and that's why I read the story about the cloud. That, that carnal young helper was supposed to be helping the prophet find that, find that cloud of rain. And every time he came back, he said, no, pastor, there's nothing. Yeah. 
No, there's nothing. No, there's nothing. If you would have looked at Ray Bench before Jesus Christ, even after God did visit me, most people would have looked inside of me and said, no, there's nothing good in him. There's no gift inside of that kid. There's nothing God could ever use. But God said, no, I'm going to put a king. I'm going to put a warrior down inside of that kid that nobody even thinks has an opportunity to do anything. In life, I'm not going to leave him out there to rot. I'm going to invest something in that young man. So now David's life begins, and this fight begins to happen. Nature begins at times turn against him. His brothers begin at times turn against him. Giants show up to war against him. And as long as he gives himself to his gift, he stays with what God put in him, he's always going to be all right. You know, I had a young... Well, young to me, she graduated from college, and she had gotten her uh, law degree, and she had applied for the bar, which is kind of the U.S. standard, you know, so they can be a lawyer. And uh, she, she took her bar exam, and it, she failed. So she got a hold of me, and she said, Brother Ray, is there any verses you really use to encourage yourself, you know, when things aren't going right? So I gave her some verses, New Testament, different things, you know. I talk about walking on the water. Jesus will keep you on the top of the storms of life, et cetera different verses, and then I just said, David, his whole life. Look at David. What didn't he overcome? He overcame the lion and the bear. He overcame Goliath. He overcame his brothers. He, over, he overcame Saul. He over, you know, I'm talking about, it isn't like he just had a few people after him. The entire army is after this guy. He's hiding in a cave. He's running for his life, and yet, no matter what the devil does, no matter who hates him, no matter who doesn't see the gift, say the gift. God, no matter who doesn't see what God put on the inside of him, he comes bubbling out on top. He's a champion in every phase of life. I don't know about you, but when I start reading this, I said, look, at even this kid's own family, even his own dad doesn't see anything in this kid that God would ever use. And yet he's the very one that God does begin to use. How many, how many of you, how many of us, if you listen to people, you will never accomplish what God has called for you to do. You will never, you will never get past. If you can get to enough time to just trust what your leadership is telling you, if you can get to be in, in touch with the man of God and have him just begin to speak, he begins to impart that gift, and that spiritual gift can come inside of you, like Paul said, and it begins to establish you. It begins to wake you up. It'll begin to talk to you. It'll begin to do its work and work its power in your life. Can you say amen? amen. That's what we're talking about today. You know, I, I've told my story so many times, I don't mean to re-preach things, but, you know, I have my testimonies to say, so that's what I'm talking about. You know, I was going to Central Michigan University, minding my own business. I got filled with the Holy Ghost. There was a man by the name of Kenneth Hagin Sr. How many remember Dr. Kenneth Hagin? He wrote a book on prayer. I, I was raised in the Lutheran Church. I wasn't walking with God. Nobody told me about the Holy Spirit. Nobody told me about praying in tongues. Changed my life when I found churches like yours. When I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, it was like a door open to the supernatural. I had walked past every day of my life. 
never, never was happier than the day I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Changed everything about me. But what happened was, my wife Janine was, was a Christian as a young girl. She was going to a church. This guy in her, her, her church walks by her one day, and he gives her Brother Hagin's book on prayer. He says, Janine, he said, this book is for you, but it's not for now. You'll know when the time is. But the Lord spoke to me, this book is for you, but not now. You'll know when. That ended up being um, Pastor Darren Osborne. I don't know if you know him, but he pastors out in Oregon. It's his brother-in-law, Dan. I've never met Dan to this day. Okay, you know him. I don't. Dan gives Janine this book on prayer by Brother Hagin. Says, this book is for you. It's not for now. It's for later. And Janine and I are beginning to talk, just getting to know each other. And she says to me, she says, you know, I've got this book. Would you like to read it with me? I'm just coming out of the Lutheran church, and I thought she was cute. I'll read any book with you. Hallelujah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not numb. Hallelujah. <laughs> I like what John Osteen said. He said, you be careful, people prophesying who you should marry. He said, when I met my wife, I didn't need no prophets. Amen. And when I met Jeannie, I didn't need a word from God. Hallelujah. I'm talking, Lord. Hallelujah. And so we went to the library there at CMU. There's a glass wall, you know, glass door, so we weren't alone, nothing wrong. And just in, in, we, we begin to read this book by Brother Hagin on prayer. First chapter's on prayer and intercession, supplications, and talk about different prayers. And then the last chapter was on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's when I got filled with the Holy Ghost, about a week after that. God left breadcrumbs for me to find my way back. Why, I think about this, why would you be so good to me when I've been such a stupid idiot? But God saw something in me. God in his goodness didn't look at the outside of Ray Dunn. God in his kindness said, you are so mixed up in your, in your heart of hearts. Just let me touch this a little bit with my power. And it began to adjust everything in my life. About a month later, I'm, I'm home one afternoon, it's the middle of the day, I'm so hungry for the things of God, this is all this new life coming to me, and I'm eating a peanut butter sandwich, I got peanut butter on toast, big tall glass of milk, and a big gulp cup, amen, we didn't have real glass silverware, just old 7-Eleven, <laughs> amen, 32 ounce cup, now they got like five gallon buckets, or they're big, <laughs> but back then 32 ounces was as big as you could get. And I'm on the, on the floor reading my Bible, sitting, you know, Indian leg, my legs are crossed Indian style, we used to call it. Now I'd cramp up, but back then I could do it. And, and I'm reading, and my, my peanut butter, the toast is hot, so the peanut butter is melting over the edges. Word of spirit. <laughs> Just had a vision, but it wasn't from God. And in the, in the middle of all of that, the Holy Spirit began to touch me, and I fell back. And that's when the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to teach. And that gift began to come. Amen. And everything began to fight it. You know, with Joseph, when he had his dream, they said, oh, here's that dreamer. Why? Because in that dream, that gift came inside of him. That I don't have to stay like this. God's going to use me. The stalks of grain began to bow down. Just You understand, these are... God can relate right where you live. Stalks, stalks of grain 
beginning to bow down, the stars and, and the moon beginning to rearrange and to begin to bow down. And then years later, years later, God is so far ahead of everybody, years later when he's there working for Pharaoh out in the field, taking care of the stalks of grain, that dream yes. is down on the inside of him. Yes. That gift comes to establish him, to stabilize him. Know what I'm talking about? And, and, and I'm here to tell you, it's all through the scriptures, and, and life can try to beat your dream out of you, and life can try to knock that gift and make you neglect it, and you get busy with this, that, or the other. But if you'll stay with your niche, what God put you in the body for, what do you want? Come on. A ministry or an anointing? There's a difference. What is it you're hungry for? Notoriety or the power of the Holy Spirit? There's a difference. If what you're after is to flow in your gift and to see the power of God, you don't care if you're in the children's church, you don't care if you're working out in the parking lot, as long as you are using what God put inside of you, that gift yeah. begins to come alive, and there's life in the parking lot, and there's life with the children, life mowing the lawn, or wherever you are, you begin to breathe life in other people. But if what you want is ministry, your agenda is all different. And that's all through the churches today. But if what you want is Jesus Christ, if what you want to do, you know, I was, I was um, down in Chattanooga, Ohio. I'm, walk, I'm walking along and, and uh, uh, talking to a, a young girl who happened to be there. I knew her father. She had relocated from Michigan down there, and she was going to school. And she walked by me, and the Lord just spoke to me. He said, give her 50 bucks. Man, so I whipped her on. I said, "Here, this is for you." She's in college. She hadn't eaten in a day. She, she, she thanked me later. She grew up, became a doctor. A while ago, I, I got, I had a really serious sinus infection. I was overseas, and she sent me a prescription. I just called her and said, "Hey." You know, I, I've got this problem. I'm overseas. Can you help me? I can't get a hold of my normal doctor. She said, sure. And she got on the computer, sent a prescription for me overseas. Glory. Yeah. Only God. Only God. Yeah. Only God would know that I'd need a friend like that on occasion. I don't know often. I don't have big physical problems, but it sure is nice to know. Yeah. Worth a whole lot more than 50 bucks. See, as long as you just follow that gift, if what you're hungry for is the anointing, not, not for fame, you just want to obey and help people, yeah. God will take you to all kinds of places. And the, and the ministry might be there, but the anointing has to be there yeah. to help people when you get there. So you can work with the children. You can work along your pastor. You can, work, uh, you, you can come and open up. But if all you're hungry for is just ministry and notoriety, there's no life in that. But if what you're hungry for, David, is to just be what God called you to be, then if I've got to fight a giant today, then I can fight one. If I've got to fight a lion and a bear today, then I can fight one. And I love everybody in the church. This, this, don't, nobody's looking around, right? You just look up at me. Every now and then, people in the church can be a trip. Everybody doesn't see your gift. Everybody doesn't understand where you're coming from. Everybody doesn't get what your experiences have been in life. You know, and, and 
it's all through the scriptures. You know, Moses came to his own people and thought that Acts chapter 7, that they would know that he came to deliver, but they did not know him. Jesus came to his own, the Bible says, but they did not receive him. How can you not see the gift in Jesus Christ? He's walking on the water, healing the leper, raising dead people, and you're not sure who he is? Are you kidding me? Now, if natural man can't see the gift of God in those men, what are they going to do to me and you? That's why I say I think pastors maybe understand life a little better than any other because a pastor will stand and have a word from God for people and they'll ignore that and go, well, my uncle so-and-so told me once. And they never see the gift that's inside of that man of God that's there for them. And it gets, if I can say it this way, glossed over. Is this making sense to you on a Sunday morning? You have to, I have to, you have to get back to what God put inside of you. And you can't worry about who doesn't see it and who does see it. Amen? Your, your children, your, your parents, your family members, whoever, you stay with the anointing. Say the anointing. anointing. Of that what God put in you because that will establish you in your ministry and what you're called to do. Can you say amen? Amen. I, I was down in, um, we were in Honduras. Minding my own business, uh, there's another guy there. His family was quite wealthy. They had donated a lot of money to this school that I was working with. I'm in there preaching on helps, and this guy, he, he's fairly well-known, his family, because they had donated some good-sized equipment to bless this ministry and uh, this high school, and I thought, well, that, you know, that's great. So we got, we got back to the, to the hotel, and it was late, and uh, the power was already shut off in the city, and um, he says, man, I'm starving. I said, well, come to my room. So I, he came to my room, and I, I travel with some just, you know, Fig Newton bars and anything that you can put in cellophane that the bugs can't find, you know, peanut butter. Me and peanut butter. I got to leave that stuff alone. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Couple jars, maybe. Hallelujah. <laughs> and, and so he says, man, he says, this is great. I said, well, you know, look, it's not going to knock, knock your socks off, but it'll get you through the night. Amen. So in, in the morning, we come down, the power's back on, and he's standing there, and uh, I got a cup of coffee in my hand, and he looks at me and says, coffee, where'd you get the coffee? I said, well, I travel with my own. He said, you travel with your own? How, how do you travel with your own? I said, well, you know, I, I learned from my pastor, same reason I bring the, the snacks, because, you know, you can't always get on a mission trip. I learned it from just being with my pastor. That's where I picked it up from. And uh, I said, you know, let me know if you want one tomorrow morning. And uh, so he said, no, you know, that would be great. And so we got back to the hotel, and the power's out again, middle of the night. So I walked down. I had a fast light, and I uh, banged on his door. I said, you all right? Can you find your way? You know, we got to get ready. It's 630 in the morning. You got to get ready. I said, do you, need a, do you need a flashlight? I've got an extra. I got a battery one, and I got those little winder-up ones, and it's a missions field. And uh, he says, thank you. And Sticks his head back in the door. He can hear him frumping around in there. And we come down <laughs> that morning. We're getting ready to go. And, and uh, I said, how you doing? He said, you know, I've decided from now on, no matter what happens on this trip, I just need to find you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need you know what's going on. I said, let me tell you something. I asked God to send me to a good pastor. 
I hooked up to that gift. Say that gift. That gift that was inside of that man, that anointing that was there for me. And it has prepared me for this. But I didn't learn this here. I learned that this there listening to him and his stories. And I paid attention. It's almost like a superpower nowadays to be able to listen to people. But if what you want is a ministry, you don't think that way. You want to be famous. You want to be seen. You want to be, but just seeking after that gift that God put inside of my leadership that was there for me, prepared me for that day on the missions field. I was preaching in a church down in, in North Carolina. Had a good meeting, nothing fantastic, but I was blessed. You know, the Lord showed up, and so hallelujah, it was wonderful. We, I went home that Tuesday, the pastor calls me. He's weeping on the phone. I said, um, you know, what's going on? He said, you know, he said, I never told you. Talking about the anointing, not talking about me. Right. He said, you know, he said, Brother Ray, he said, I, I never told you. You're, it's funny you're mentioning the refrigerator's break. He said, my refrigerator broke, and when we, we moved it, the cord that goes to the ice machine, that little, you know, water cord, cold water, it had been leaking, and it had rotted the whole floor area underneath that fridge. You, not just like the linoleum, they had to pull all the plywood up. And when they got doing that, they found other rotten spots all around the house. The roof had been leaking, different things had been happening, and the whole subfloor had to be ripped out. You couldn't even walk. It's just open, you know, open floor joists. They had to move out of their house. Well, he never told me any of that. And he said, you know, he said, he said, I'm, I'm going through all of that. I, I'm staying in somebody's basement. There's an argument between us and the insurance company. And he said, and then you came in and you preached on health. And he said, one of the leaders in my church is, is a contracting business, and he's doing this whole renovation. But we're stuck in between what the insurance company will provide and the cost that it's going to be to fix everything. They're not willing to pay for all of it. He said, that guy asked the Lord, he said, God, why does my pastor have to struggle like this? The Holy Spirit, only God would talk like this. He said, son, he doesn't have to struggle like this. He just is. He said, I went back to all of the notes that I had taken during the health seminar that brother or that, that I did. And he said, I began to look up all the health verses. He said, and I called the leaders of the church. And in two hours, church of about 100 people, in two hours, they raised $17,000 cash for the pastor. And they paid for the completion of the renovation in that pastor's home. And the reason he called me weeping, he said, I pull in my driveway. There's guys running all over, plywood coming off, and there's subflooring coming in. And they're sending me to the store to pick out carpeting, and they're reciting my shed. He said, I would have never thought, but they had money left over, and they're going to redo all of this. You want an anointing? Because that's what that is. It's not me. It's got no, listen, no one's more blown away than me. No one in this room is more blown away than me. It's not me. It's the anointing that's on this. Yes. Yes. When you start focusing on your gift, yes. 
and what God puts you in the body of Christ to do. Or you can build a ministry. And then you got to have all the advertisement. You got to keep pushing yourself and you got to keep promoting yourself. You got to keep telling everybody how wonderful you are because they might forget. Or you can just walk with God. I could tell stories on Dr. Barclay half the morning. I could tell stories on Pastor John Osteen half the morning about the anointing. It's where I picked it up from. You know, I mentioned Brother Hagin's name. I know some people don't know. Brother Hagin's passed away now some years ago, so I understand that, that it's kind of old school in a sense. I asked a young preacher one time, I said, why did you go into the ministry? This is, this is what really drew me to Rhema or I should say to Dr. Hagen, that and that book on prayer. He said, you know, Brother Ray, he said, some friends of mine were going down to Brother Hagen's winter um, Bible seminar. And he said, I wasn't right. I wasn't living for God. I'm in sin. But friends of mine were going down there, and one of the girls that I knew was going to be at that meeting, so I was going to go to the meeting, though I wasn't going to go to the meeting. Don't need to go on. And he said, we park across the street, we walk. And he said, when my foot hit the campus of Raymond Christian Center, conviction hit me. And he said, I began to weep and I knelt down in the grass. I'm not even in the meeting yet. And I began to weep and kneel down in the grass under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. My God, what am I thinking? What is wrong with me? And he said, I, I transitioned and I... And I signed up to go to that Bible school, and that's why I'm pastoring to this day. Now, that isn't a ministry, folks. That's an anointing. You don't do that because you have a website and advertisement and marketing. That's because you've got two knees of Bible and the Holy Ghost. There's a huge difference. Pastor John Osteen, over the course of time, Lakewood Church grew and grew and grew. And the Holy Spirit speaks to him. Is this all right to tell stories on a Sunday morning? Pastor Osteen's in, in Lakewood Church, and he's, he's, he's in prayer one morning, and the Holy Spirit speaks to him. He said, I want you to go down to Mexico on a missions trip. Well, that, by that time, he had 100 people in Mexico on, on missions work. He said, Lord, just tell me what, where you want. I, I got missionaries. There's no need for me to. I'll just send one. He said, I want you to go. All right. So he packs up his stuff, and he sets up a missions trip. Lord didn't even specify where to go. They're in the back roads out in Mexico. This old, skinny, Hispanic gentleman is standing there with a straw hat flagging down his car in a gravel road. So normally you wouldn't pull over, right? It'd be a setup. But they feel, oh, it's all right. Let's see what we can do to help this gentleman. What's maybe he's broken down or what's going on. And uh, he leans in the car and in broken English, he says, does anybody in your car know anything about a man named Jesus Christ? They said, what? In my village, the old man continues, broken English, half interpreter, you know what I mean, half Spanglish. He says, in my village, somebody knew a wonderful story about a man named Jesus Christ, but nobody could finish the story. And I've been out here all day flagging people down to hear the finishing part of the story about this man named Jesus Christ. Can you help us? Pastor Osteen walked back into the bush and all these coffee bean farmers came out of their fields 
And he led an entire village of 75 people to the Lord. That's not ministry, folks. That's the anointing. Pastor Barclay was preaching down in um, North Little Rock, Arkansas. Pastor Silas Johnson. Old um, uh, Church of God in Christ building. Wood pews, right? This, like this would be all connected in the center. There's no center aisle. Probably seated 700 people or so. Depends on how tight you squish them. Amen. How skinny the Americans are. <laughs> Probably get 10,000 Filipinos and 150 Americans. Amen. <laughs> There's always one dumb thing I say every morning, so I'm, now it's out. Hallelujah. Hopefully there's only one. So, so we're, we're there, and it's crowded. It's hot. I mean, it's hot. And, and you know what I mean? North Little Rock, Arkansas. Northern people should not be in Arkansas in the summertime. It's just hot. Hot, humid. Oh, it's awful. You need gills to breathe. It's just terrible. And it's, it's hot, and pastor's ministering, and the, and the church is crowded, and he stops, he looks way up in the balcony, Pastor Barclay does, and he says, uh, it's like his 10-year-old kid standing there, 12-year-old kid, leaning against the wall. He says, young man. Of course, all the kids are looking around up there. He goes, you, you, leaning against the wall. Yeah, you, come down here. I have a word from you, for you. So this kid has to, you know, take the stairwell down. Well, he's taking forever. I don't know if he went outside to go to the bathroom or what he's doing. Okay, two dumb things today. But anyways, that he's taking forever. So pastor keeps moving. He says, well, there's a lady over here. I also have a word for you. And she came over. She had on this black dress uh, with, like, white polka dots on it. I'll never forget. And as she began to come down this aisle, her son, or this kid began to come from this way. And she starts jumping. That's my son. That's my son. That's my son. They had come to church together, but he was sitting with his friends up there. And she was sitting with her lady friends over here. And as they came to the altar, they connected. And God had picked the two of them out from up there to over there and brought them to the altar together and began to have a word for that young boy. Now, God's going to carry you into your teenage years. You're not going to drift into the world, which had been the cry of his mother's heart. Lord, don't let my son that I've worked so hard for and invested in drift into the world now. Keep him holy and pure through these teenage years. You don't do that because you have a ministry do that because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I began to go in my office and get on my knees and say, Lord, just anoint me to help your people. Let me, this gift you've put in me that's for your people, let it come out. Let people see what you are. Let them know the greatness of the Almighty God. Let them understand that there is a God in Zion that'll touch and help his people. And here I have pastors calling me, weeping on the phone, because God gave him $17,000 in two hours. I told that pastor, I said, I'll trade you offerings. He said, no, you won't. <laughs> he loved me, but not quite that much. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hear me. What do you want? What are you hungry for? You got to be seen in front of everybody. Or can you just serve God just to be part of what God is doing in the house of the Almighty? Can you just forget what people don't see a gift in you and yet focus on your gift, your call, your niche, your place in the body of Christ? 
ushering or greeting or working with the sound or working with the audio people or the music or the kids. You know what I'm talking about? And just be there and see what God will do with the light that comes alongside. Because in your tomorrows, you'll need the lessons God is trying to teach you today, just like I did. In your tomorrows, what you're ignoring today is going to set you back. But if you'll focus on your gift, Timothy, and not neglect it. See, in 1 Timothy, Paul told, wrote him and he said, stir up the gift. It's in there, but evidently it's up to your jurisdiction or your authority. You can stir it up or you can let it settle out. Look, if my wife make, makes, a, makes a good can of soup, you, if you want to get everything that's in there, you got to stir it up first. Because everything will just settle to the bottom. But when you stir it up, you draw all the good stuff back up to the top again. When you stir up the good gifts and the things that God has put inside of you, when you take some time to flow in your anointing and your call before you get into the house of God, then the anointing begins to impart into different people. And you don't even know what all you're doing, but God, say God. God put a king inside of you. God put a warrior inside of you. God put a champion inside of you. And if not one person in your family sees it, it doesn't mean it's not there. If not one person in your village knows it, it doesn't mean it's not there. You just focus back in on what God put in you that's for humanity and go after that anointing and you begin to see life come to everybody that you touch. Can you say amen? What What do you want? A ministry or an anointing? Let's just pray, everybody. Lord, even now, I thank you for gifts of the Spirit being placed inside of the people this morning. I thank you as pastor's been so faithful, Mrs. Jolliffe's been so faithful, that there's gifts imparted into your people. We stir up now these gifts. We focus back in. We, if we've neglected, if we've sat down, if we've gotten busy, if we've become, Lord, obsessed with other things. Lord, I can't deny my heart. I read these verses and I see about David not being invited. Is, is really our sport so important for our kids on Sundays that we take them out of the house of the Almighty? That we become so distracted? Lord, help us. Help us to focus back in. Help us to, to, to gird our minds back again to the gospel of truth. Let us give ourselves now to our gift, our call, our place in the body of Christ. That we might see the move of your spirit upon this generation. Yes. Lord, we we want that anointing. We want that grace of your spirit. We want to flow with you to be seen in heaven as being successful, irregardless of what man sees. Use us and touch us and talk to us. We give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you give the Lord a good hand clap this morning? Thank you.